Hello and welcome to Phil's Audio Experience. In today's episode, we're talking with John Metzeler. John is a professor for leading and living innovation at the Solway Brussels School for Economics and Management. We're diving into volatile and uncertain environments, how innovation has changed over the past 30 years, how leaders should react to the new times, and how to bring innovation from ideation all the way up to scale, both from a hands-on, let's get this done perspective, as well as from an organizational and leadership angle. Enjoy. This is Phil's Audio Experience. Today we have John Metzeler on the call. I'm really excited for this because uh, John has had a very impressive career over the past 30 years. He has held a global vice president leadership role at Procter and Gamble and has been very active in the innovation and organizational culture space. Nowadays, he's a professor of the management practice at the Solvay Brussels School for Economics and Management. John, thanks so much for joining. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for reaching out. Um, it's always happy. I'm always happy to contribute to. Uh, to bring in new insights into the world. So I was honored uh, that you uh, reached out to me. Thank you, Philip. Yeah, thanks for being here. John, from your perspective, how has innovation changed enterprises over the past five, 10 and 25 years? And how has the perception of it changed? Well, we're living in a VUCA on steroids world, I, I call it. Um, I'm not sure if you heard uh, the word term VUCA. Um, when I started to talk in my new professor life I, uh, six years ago, I introduced it. and one out of uh, probably a 50 or so audience uh, would raise the hand. Yes, I know, but now it's a bit more um, widespread and uh, and better known. It's uh, it's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So again, I started to talk this uh, um, at the time. And of course, then the COVID happened last year. And now I'm, I've changed my tune into we're living in a VUCA on steroids world. Um, and uh, and things change so fast. Um, in the world, just it was much more predictable um, when I joined Procter and Gamble thirty years ago. Or now thirty six years ago, right? Thirty plus six years ago. Um, I remember I joined in the R and D department, and my first uh, two trainings were in total quality. Um, innovation really wasn't a word we even used in uh, in those years. Um, of course, we were trying to innovate, but it was very much focused on research and development. Um, and so today, um, leaders need to uh, fundamentally change the way they're going about um, creating and capturing value for corporations. And innovation is an absolutely central role um, in that. And that's really the reason why it's a buzzword today for some people, but justifiably so. Uh, you don't innovate, you fall behind. Um, with the world's moving forward so fast um, that remember your physics class, um, you know, relative to a, an object that moves away, if you're sitting in that object um, and you stand still, you fall behind. Um, innovation is uh, is the only way for companies to survive even in this climate. And if you do better than your competitors and better than your environment, um, then you're able to you're, you're, you're able to thrive. Um, so that would be my uh, my introductory perspective on uh, on um, what innovation um, looks like, the role of it today, and uh, and what leaders need to do. How would you say have the last 18 to 24 months changed all of this? I mean, with everything going remote, with uh, there just simply being disruption across all markets, even within uh, the working mode itself, how does yeah, well, this affect? The only, mm -hmm. oh, sorry, Philip. Yeah, no, no, the, only, the only uh, concept has changed. Um, and, uh, and so that sounds like a platitude. That's <laughs> pretty profound. Um, you need to set yourself up for constant change, constant renewal. Um, and that a window for that um, is, uh, is getting shorter and shorter. Um, I don't really remember the numbers exactly, but I used to say, I think 50 years ago, um, the life expectancy of a company was 75 years. Um, 
of a Fortune 500 company, and today it's like 15 years, um, and that goes down fast. <laughs> um, so, um, so the renewal um, uh, need uh, has accelerated um, uh, over the years and dramatically so um, in the last uh, in the last 18 months because of uh, the crisis that we have uh, that we've had. Right, as Mike Tyson says, you can never plan until you get hit in the face. Um, and I know many, most, if not all companies have thrown out all their beautiful innovation portfolios and their plans um, uh, because they needed to do something totally different and react to, uh, to this book on steroids uh, climate and world they were, they've suddenly found themselves in. So would you say, I mean, I would say it's kind of common sense that innovation is to some degree at least chaos. I mean, sometimes it's controlled, sometimes it's a bit less controlled and Often it just requires lots of ideas and then it requires lots of failing ideas actually before something works. What's your perspective on this? Well, you need to be a bit careful on the ideation part. Um, I, I always say innovation is creativity, creativity and discipline with A and D in large capitals. Um, innovation, some people consider innovation to be all about ideation. And so they focus on hackathons and they focus on design thinking and lean work and scrums. Um, but, uh, but that's frankly only the start of innovation. You know, innovation is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Uh, even go back to the definition of innovation. The definition of innovation that I use is, uh, converting knowledge and inspiration into new value, converting knowledge and inspiration into new value. And what you hear in there is, yes, there is inspiration and that's where the ideation comes in. Um, but there's also knowledge management. Um, which, by the way, is a huge challenge in large corporations. One division doesn't know or one function doesn't know what the other is doing um, very often, or at least not generating. Um, and then there is the word conversion in there. Um, and that's the 99% perspiration, that conversion of that, idea, of that idea into a concept that you need to qualify, that you need to get ready for in terms of manufacturing, you know, sometimes investing billions of dollars into new you know, manufacturing capability, and then ultimately commercializing that effectively and leveraging it um, as it is in the market. That's where the 99% of hard work comes in. Uh, and that's the, toward, the more you get towards your, your, your commercialization phase, the more, the, the more discipline you need, to, uh, you need to instill. You don't want to go and, and go out to your sales force who goes out to the Walmarts and the, the Albert Hind of this world um, and say, yeah, we're ready to launch. And then, oops, we're not um, when all the plans have been, have been made. But even up front, you need, a, um, you need some structure into your, into your, um, into your, into your creative work. Um, you need to create the, your where to play choices, the boundaries um, in which you want to have your organization experiment. Mm -hmm. There's so many follow-up questions, but I think the most pressing one is so. Let's say I want to get started with this as an organization. How do I start? I mean, this is, how do I, you know, do I tell my people, guys, let's innovate and get going? Or how, how would you put this into practice very hands-on? Um, well, that's a difficult question. I think that every, everything in life starts at leadership um, is what I um, is what I would submit. Um, and so, so when it comes to leadership, um, you know, I call this uh, what what today's new leader for the new world. Um, I call this generative leadership. Um, and what generative leadership is all about is essentially I've I've created this framework of what leaders do and who they are or who they should be. Um, and so when it comes to what leaders do, they're really operating at three levels. Um, and, and they encompass the five E's of leadership, which we used to talk about at P&G already. And I've sort of reformatted a bit within my own uh, and, you know, reality. Um, the first E is envisioning. 
as a leader, you need to go and, uh, and set the direction. Um, it starts from purpose, developing the strategies, and then proper communication. Uh, the second level is you need to make sure that you as a leader enable your people to execute. Um, and so that's where the second two E's, enabling to execute. Um, one of my previous C- CEOs used to say, execution is the only strategy the customer ever sees. Um, so that's why execution is absolutely pivotal uh, for leaders who are stuck at the at the strategy level. Um, that's at their own peril. Um, and then the, the, the third level, um, which is the one that's often most uncomfortable for leaders, is uh, you need to um, engage and empower. Engage the individuals and empower teams to really get on fire and be able to do the, um, the execution properly, uh, which obviously starts from the creativity as we just talked. So three levels of, um, of, of, of leadership, envisioning, um, enabling to execute and engaging um, individuals towards empower teams. Um, so I'll stop here a bit before I move into the who leaders uh, should be because I don't want to take over the conversation. Go for it, Philip. Where you want to go next? Yeah, it's really great. So uh, my, my big question is: So I've been in consulting for quite a while. I came across um, lots of large corporations where you find many people. I mean, even in consulting itself, that um, absolutely go with the same line: say we need to empower and enable people to to do innovation. But at the end of the day, they kind of don't. I mean, they you know they kind of give them the responsibility, but not ultimately the accountability. And the question is, what's holding them back, and how can can someone like maybe the top level leadership break through this barrier? Well, that's an uh, thank you for asking me the question because it's one of my favorite areas. Um, that lower uh, box, actually, I shouldn't even call it lower because it gives the wrong impression. The uh, third box <laughs> um, is the engaging um, of individuals. Um, that is really what is the biggest challenge right now, um, in my humble opinion. Um, you know, uh, it's not good enough. I mean, leaders don't have the answers anymore. It, it's very clear. This old charismatic leader who used to set up and say, hey, you know, Henry Ford knew exactly that he, what he wanted to do. He wanted to go and develop the assembly line. And so everybody followed orders, right? So the management discipline was actually invented to go and, um, and have people be disciplined for standardized work processes and follow orders. Um, and how do you do that in the best way possible? Um, that's what not what today's Puka and storage world needs, right? The leader, things happen so fast that as, as, a, as a boss, as a leader, as a manager, you don't have the answers anymore. So you need to rely much more on the people that are going to do that experimentation um, that we just talked about before. Um, and, and so experimenting, failing, learning, uh, failing some more, um, learning some more. And ultimately, when you get it right, you scale with the speed of lightning. I was... I was in a panel conversation recently, and, and one of my partners said we should stop calling things R&D, you know, research and development. It's so old school. Um, it's about ENS. And I go like, where is he going with ENS? He said experimentation and scale. Um, and that is a bit of the reality that, uh, that needs to be um, uh, embraced today by leaders. And who is going to do the experimentation? Is it going to be the leaders? Of course not. You need to go and focus on engaging your people into that experimentation game. And why, back to your, this is a long uh, um, prelude into answering your question. Why is it so hard? Well, because it's the soft stuff. It is dealing with people and people are notoriously fickle. You know, and many leaders, um, and the more engineering you go, the less uh, human people skills people have developed in their their education. Um, And so so it just doesn't come as comfortable. Um, And also back to the old leadership style, the old leadership principle, um, it's, you know, it's all about strategy, you know, strategy, right? It's been all in the mind. Um, and, uh, and that's by the way, leading me into the being side of things where yes, it starts with a growth mindset, but it also needs to include the heart and the gut 
um, uh, that you need to, as a leader to exhibit. Um, if you want, we can go into that in a bit more detail, but I'll let you go and respond to my uh, answer to your question first. So what I find very fascinating about this is that it's often, um, I'm seeing many corporations now that try to kind of roll out innovation. So they're saying, well, guys, we need to be more innovative. So we're going to enable everyone to be innovative. And um, to me, it's a question, actually, whether you need to have this grassroots movement to enable everyone that is right now innovative. You know, I, I, I believe it's not possible that if you have 100,000 people, you just turn all of them into innovators right away. But there might, might be five that have a good idea. So that's the, the bottom-up movement. Um, the other side of that spectrum is um, companies like, let's say, Tesla, where you have this one figure at the top with Elon Musk that is just you know charging ahead, pulling everyone with him. And of course, there's lots of micro-innovations in all kinds of spaces. Um, so the question to me is, what's the way to go? Is it you know enabling kind of a grassroots movement of innovation for everyone? Or is it installing, um, let's say, very um, targeted positions where single individuals can, you know, take a certain part of the organization and charge, uh, charge ahead to be innovative. Well, in, in today's world that we just painted, I think innovation needs to be everyone's job. Everyone needs to go and, and be able to look at what they're doing and try to do that better. Um, you know, uh, talking about new value, right? And the new value doesn't need to be a whole new Tesla car or a rocket. You know, innovation can be small pieces um, that together make up a, a big, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of potential. Um, so, um, so I, I, to me, it's, uh, it's, it's critical that you get the full organization with you. Um, when I talk purpose in my class, um, and that's where it needs to start. Um, I always give the example of Apple. Um, when Steve jobs came back to Apple in 97, um, I showed the video on this, in this uh, speech on this return to Apple speech. And, um, and, and he actually did something very profound in that speech, which is he set Apple in the direction to become a, a, a not even an, 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 um, innovation machine, but an innovation agile organism, um, because he coined there the term, you know, we are about thinking different. It's only the crazy ones that think they can change the world that actually do. That has sort of become Apple's purpose, right? And if you, that's your purpose, then automatically you always innovate all the time because you're never satisfied. Um, and, uh, and so that's a bit of the principle of, um, of, of Tesla as well. And some of the better companies, Amazon does it really well. You know, P&G is constantly renewing itself. It's been, uh, you know, around for 184 years. Um, and I know, um, because I'm very, I'm still very, very close to the company that they're renewing themselves, um, every single day. Um, so, um, so, so that would be my, my perspective on, um, on, on, on the, on your question, I think. So the question to me is, I see that um, often um, there's consensus on this on the top level. So they, I mean, it is, it's very, you know, everybody's on board. They say, yeah, of course, we need to be innovative, we need to empower. And then it kind of gets lost in translation somewhere in middle management because the steering is ultimately done on, for example, revenue KPIs or general financials, lagging KPIs in general that are basically time bound to some extent to the fiscal year, to, you know, to some horizon. And it's when it comes to the, um, development of innovations, it's upfront, it's not entirely clear when that event will happen or if it's successful. So then it kind of, you know, this innovative spirit gets lost in translation because the people that are technically empowered to, to be innovative and fail ultimately fear it. And so, um, yeah, again, it, it doesn't kind of trickle down through the organization. How can this chain be broken? How do you steer an organization? I mean, by what, uh, is it objectives? Is it different sets of KPIs? Is it in just a mindset? Um, how do you steer that? Well, 
You're asking quite a few things. First of all, um, I, you know, you mentioned middle management, and and indeed, people are sometimes referring to middle management as the culprit, right? Because that's the permafrost. <laughs> you know, the the the, the C-suite wants to go and get innovation done, and the people at the, at the at the bottom of the organization want to get innovation done, but it's all the middle managers are who are in the middle. I think that's a bit of a shortcut of an answer, to be honest. I think it's even when you, when you look at, I mean, take a typical tenure of a, of a CEO, right? I mean, what is it, four years, um, sometimes at best? Um, what can you really deliver in four years when it comes to a, a major innovation? Well, that first needs to get into the marketplace and that take, take multiple years and then, of course, produce results in the marketplace. Um, so um, it, I think it happens at all levels. I think where you have a point is that often management is getting in the way. Um, because in a large organization, you need processes and structures and systems, but sometimes these systems and structures have a tendency to take over. <laughs> and so um, it, uh, it holds back all of that uh, elan and that dynamism that exists in organizations. So that's why I always tell people, you should never use structure as a, as a noun, use structure as a verb. You need to, back to when I said earlier, when I talk about creativity and discipline, that discipline needs to be agile. It needs to allow for agile work processes. Um, and it needs to serve the people um, and, not, and, and not take over so that people become checkmark fillers. Um, and I think ultimately, I talk a lot about, um, and that's maybe my hobby horse, um, what you need to create as a leadership group across the organization, through the, throughout the organization, is what I call a learning culture. Um, or I call it the love of learning culture. Um, you need to go and, and, and create an environment of deep curiosity where everybody always looks to go and get better. Um, and, um, and that's not easy. Um, it's often, ironically, is the most difficult uh, for leaders because leaders get to that position or, you know, the big bosses get to that position because they've done something right in the past. They think they deserve that position and they go and then tell everybody what they've been doing over the last five years and want everybody to do like they do. Um, but of course, new times call always, as we just started the conversation, call for new things um, and for new needs. Um, so, um, so that's actually not the right approach. Um, leaders need to go and become the biggest learners, the curious learners themselves. That's how you set the example for the rest of the organization. So the role of, um, of the C-suite in that sense is very, very important. And so maybe that starts me on this being side of, um, of, my, of my leadership framework, which is indeed, I start with leaders need to have a growth mindset. Um, you know, be able be, be open for new things all the time. Um, you know, the, the contrast, as Carol Dweck uh, has written in her mindset book, is obviously the fixed mindset where people are playing it safe and staying in their own reality and proving to everybody else how smart, intelligent, or or, or, um, or you know, smart, intelligent, and talented they are. Um, people with the growth mindset ultimately go way farther. They just look constantly to go and how do I develop? How do I get new things done? How, do I can, how can I do um, uh, new things in a better way? Um, and so, so that's where it starts at the mind, but it's not enough. Then you need to be able to accept your vulnerability, be authentic, become an authentic leader, you know, operate with the heart, um, show to everyone, demonstrate to everyone that you are imperfect, that you're fallible, that you make mistakes and illustrate those and, and with storytelling, share it with the organization. That makes makes it clear to everybody else that they can go and experiment and fail and then ultimately learn as long as you fail forward um, and you learn new things. So, open so basically, you, you set an example? Yeah, absolutely. Walking the talk is so critical. 
Um, and that gets me a bit to my third point, which is um, uh, the gut, uh, where you need to go and create psychological safety for the organization. Grounded in that vulnerability and that, uh, that authenticity, then you need to make sure that you, um, you make it safe for people to take risks, to speak up, to raise their voice, um, and, uh, and to, uh, to contribute to, uh, to the innovation game and the success of the corporation. And that is, um, and that is the, uh, the, the foundation to create this experimentation and learning culture that I referred to earlier. So that's the, the being side of, um, of the leadership framework. Great. Leadership framework. Last question. When you hire for innovative minds or for talented people that are supposed to drive innovation in your organization, what are you looking for and how should you evaluate those people to spot the right candidates? Well, first of all, you need to make sure you hire for attitude, uh, you hire for mindset, and you don't hire for skill. It's so much easier to go and 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 uh, and and learn learn people new skills, um, and it's so much more difficult to change attitude and mindset, beliefs and behaviors. Um, so I would say that first. And then the uh, I read something recently which is nicely fitting with my uh, with my um, passion for creating a uh, a learning culture, which is one thing you could ask um, future people is how do you learn. And what have you learned recently? Um, that could be um, a, um, a discriminator in, um, uh, in, in, in your hiring. Um, hire for attitude um, and, uh, and emphasize curiosity and learning uh, big time. Um, these are, in a nutshell, my, uh, um, my recommendations uh, to go and ensure that you hire that talent that sets you up for, uh, for, a, future that, uh, for a future of growth. Um, of growth across uh, different dimensions, personal growth, professional growth, and ultimately, you know, corporate growth. Last statement, if there was one specific thing that people and organizations should start doing right now today, what would it be? Curiosity and learning. Really great. Thanks so much, John. Thanks so much for being here. Philip, thank you. I hope that was helpful. Um, look forward to staying in touch. Um, talk soon again. Bye -bye. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Before we end today's episode, first of all, thanks so much for listening. It would be incredibly helpful to get your insight into what was most valuable to you, at what point you had your biggest aha moment, and what do you take away from this. So please leave a comment, send me a message either on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, via email, wherever you can find me. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much and take care.